Hey everyone, it's Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget we are labeled as an explicit website and podcast. If you're easily offended or under 18, you should probably go away right about now. Sorry. So today my returning guest is Leela Gwen, writer, model, businesswoman, and we will be discussing her latest project, which is called Born Dark. It's a comic book series and other nuggets about comics and the publishing business, and um, she's got a Kickstarter running, so we need to talk about this right now. Hi. So you don't have to... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! It's Friday night that we're recording this. You don't have to be drunk to be on the show or to listen to Vodka Clock, but I am actually much funnier if you are. So, so, yay, Leela, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me. So, um, last time we talked, it was about your project. Um, You were doing a photo project called the Nerd Brondage Project. So, I just wanted to get, like, sort of a a fill-in as to where you left off with that, and then we'll get all into the Born Dark comic book. That was, like, drama central. It uh, It was run through Indiegogo. And um, for the last, like, four days of the thing, they didn't accept, like, half of the do- the backers or whatever. And so I complained. And, like, we, I ended up not making my goal. I'm missing it by, like, $35. And I complained. And they actually gave me four days back. And we made it. And, um, so that was a lot of fun and the, the pictures came out great and they actually ended up, up um, on IO9. So that was fun. Right. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, it was so funny because, um, as I was trying to like pull myself away from coworkers, I was like, guys, I got to go. I'm interviewing a bondage model. And I swear to God, four times they're like, a what? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, yes, I said, I have a, I have really, I a really interesting social network outside of you people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? It's not all business suits where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Like, I'm sorry, nerds. I gotta go. <laughs> um, so I remembered that when you were first talking about your hashtag born dark, uh-huh. I was like, I thought you were writing at first, um, a, like a prose piece of work. I didn't know if it was a full novel or what you're working on. Cause you're always talking about writing. So, uh, you know, I didn't know what you were working on. And then when you had mentioned that you were working with Richard Clark, I'm like, Holy cow. One of my favorite artists <laughs> and favorite people of all time. How did you meet Rich and uh, decide that you guys were going to team up and make a comic? Um, well, it was uh, we met through Twitter. Um, I I don't know how I managed to uh, I don't know con like all these awesome people into thinking I'm cool, but um, I I do. <laughs> and, it was amazing. And um, you know I I'd uh, been uh, working with Adam Nave. Um, right. Who's, you know, exceptional and well-connected as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're not reading Amelia Cole, you're missing out. Um, yeah. I'm always <laughs> recommending that book. It's so funny how often I recommend Amelia Cole. It's a great book. And so, um, you know, he, he had offered to, to, to edit the, the scripts for me and, um, then, you know, just kind of, through the grapevine as Twitter happens, because I can't really figure out how I know anybody originally on Twitter anymore. It's just, we've always been friends. <laughs> yeah, that's how I explain a lot of things. I'm like, you know, Twitter, yeah. always. It's like it's such my go-to answer. Yeah, and then we were all together at the Baltimore Comic Con, and, um, you know, uh, Richard showed me some um, some concepts that he had drawn up and you know you just can't go wrong when you're dealing with you know kind of an artist of his caliber so I just was like yeah let's do this it's true I don't know how I missed you in Baltimore but I was literally up and down every aisle collecting donations for the charity fundraiser that that I work on Uh for one Wonder Woman Day and Superhero Weekend, but I was at Rich's booth for like uh, quite a while because he's been amazing and always donated a piece to us. 
And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just so funny, like being at his booth and like Jim Starlin comes up and starts talking to him. Dude, I'm like, can I tell you that the night before the opening of the con, I went up to meet with the guys and I'm sitting at the table drinking with Jim Starlin and I'm just like trying not to fangirl like all over the place. And yeah, it's, it's just those are the moments where I'm just like, okay, so, all right. Right. So, like, like your brain wants like, to explode out your eyeball, but you got to keep cool. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder how I pull that off. I'm like, okay, yeah, yep, just a person. Totally just a person. Mm-hmm, that's me. Uh-huh. Yep. You. Yep. We're here. We're in the same space. Oxygen. Oxygen is going on. And I have this um, this habit of getting super intense sometimes, and I totally, like, went super intense on Jim Starlin, and I was like, oh, Leela, pull it back, pull it back, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. So, yeah. That's awesome. I love, I you know, I love great fangirl moments. It's like we should have a Tumblr, fangirl moments in history or something. Right? Have you, let me ask you, because this is sort of, because you have a different type of celebrity. Have, has anybody gone all all fanboy, fangirl on you? No, everybody's been pretty cool. I did have, it was completely weird because right after the pictures came out on io9, um, it was for my birthday, I went up to see Neil Gaiman um, read and, and talk and, and stuff. And we were stand. I was standing in line with Sean Van Gorman, and we were oh, just yeah, like shooting the shit and being cool or whatever. Well, not being cool. I'm not cool, but whatever. <laughs> was cool. I think people would argue he that he was wearing the suave like velvet jacket and being cool. And um, we were talking, and I was like, "Dude, my pictures are on I O nine." And this girl like whips around, and she's like, "That's you?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like my friends are going to be so that's so, so awesome, and I was just like, er, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wild. But yeah, um, no. Oh <laughs> no! Mostly everybody like like mostly everybody's just my friend and like my buddy, and we just hang out or whatever. It's interesting when I hear um, people that I think of as celebrities or Internet celebrities, if you need to classify, when I hear them talking and they're just like, oh, you know, um, like one of the podcasts I love to listen to is Sex Nerd Sandra. Mm-hmm. She's like, guys, please, if you see me, come up and say hello and talk to me because I'm like super shy. And I'm like, you're a sex educator. How are you super shy? You know, it just like blows my mind. But that's the kind of stuff that people say, even though they're they have a level of comfort about public speaking, they still feel that they're shy individuals. Yeah, it's funny because like when that girl was like, "That was you," I was totally like, Meep. like, <laughs> <laughs> which is so not you on Twitter. I know like, you're very just, out there. It, like it just caught me on. If you catch me by surprise, I'm kind of like. I have to be prepared because my social awkwardness is still very much there. Like, I'm still very much a nerd. If I'm well prepared, I'm good. But if I'm not, then I'm just either super intense, Leela, like, let me tell you all the things. Or I'm like, eep, let me hide. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, so we wanted to, so we were talking about Richard because we were talking about Born Dark, which I is like a fantasy, urban fantasy type of fiction that you're working on in, you know, comic book form. And you have gone to Kickstarter to fund issue zero. Yes. Um, and Kickstarter is something I talk to a lot of people about, and there's um, so many lessons learned. Comics Tribe, guys, is one of my favorite sites to go to about learning the ropes with Kickstarter. Absolutely. Because everybody there uh, gives, like, they're really upfront about what works and what doesn't and how they made their own mistakes. Um, Wes Loker, who's been on the show, talks about that sort of thing. And um, now – you ran Indiegogo for the Nerd Bondage Project, mm-hmm. um, 
because of Kickstarter's rules and whatnot. Um, But so did you ever work on a Kickstarter before, like of any kind? Um, Just just the Nerdvantage project thing. That was really my like how I cut my teeth on this. And I I learned a lot from it, you know, and, and, you know, how to kind of lay the ground and get people excited about it and that sort of thing. And um, so far it's paying off, you know, this is, this is like day three and we're already, you know, more than 30% funded at this point. So, so far all fingers crossed and I'm knocking on wood, things are going really, really well. It's <laughs> great. And, um, now typically what I see is that when writers are operating the Kickstarter, it's specifically to fund the rest of the creative team because uh like your part is is done or or close to done and you have expectations to for these other people that they have to meet deadlines so you're hiring them and uh that seems like the way that you're running it like you're hiring Rich and Adam to to make sure that you get this particular issue out and I I mean like because I know who they are and I know what level they do right this is uh this is like do you have to explain that a lot to people like these guys require their paychecks right well you know like I I don't understand any human being who thinks that creative people should do what they do just for the love of it like People don't eat love. <laughs> it's great if that happens. If, if you know suddenly you're collaborating, that's it's a, an amazing thing when that happens. In my opinion, well, I love it. It's, you know, like but, the guys have all bought into the project. They're all really, uh, you know, like they believe in the project. I mean, honestly, as a a, a relatively unknown writer, you know, with just a few small credits under my belt, I couldn't have gotten these people involved in the project if it was shit (laughs) you know what I mean but they deserve to be paid because they're awesome you know what I mean and they're going to put all this time and energy and sweat blood and tears into a project no matter how much you you believe in it we're you know these are grown-ups with bills you know these aren't you know, 20 year old kids whose parents are paying for them to go to college, you know, like these are grown ass men who need. Right. To- I mean, yeah. Rich has been in the business for a while. Adam is, was it an Eisner that he got? Yeah. Or- he's got an Eisner and a Harvey award. Yeah. And a Harvey. <laughs> so yeah. So this is a pretty spectacular group of people that you've wrangled, you know, and you as the writer and the person who birthed the, the whole project so what is their um level of feedback with it i mean you know some people when they think about work for hire they think of somebody just being like a pen monkey you know like doing the art like not having any emotional investment in it and you were saying that these guys love the project so are they giving you feedback at the same time as to uh script changes or well well you uh, you know know, like that adam edited the the thing and the whole thing all you know he went through it with me you know and it was a really a learning experience and an amazing learning experience and um you know so you know he and I went through script changes and all of that stuff um Rich and I are very alike in that we are both have very strong creative wills and we do bump heads on certain things <laughs> but okay it's, but it's a respectful bumping of heads like we we both know that we want the best for everything so it, we don't you know there's no discord there it's just well this is what I think will work better and you know and some of those things I have to I have to be like dude you've been doing this for a long time I have to trust your stuff. And then every once in a while, I just got to be like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Because it's still, you know. I, You're, you still have a vision somewhere in your head that you need to have come out. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I know that comics is a collaborative 
thing. And anybody who thinks that even work for hire, you know, if you think that as a writer, you know, everything exactly how it should be on the page, then you should be drawing it yourself. You know what I mean? I know that I have, I don't have that ability. So I have to trust that Richard knows the paper and how things should look on the paper a little better than I do. Yeah, that's usually where I get super impressed with the uh, the artistic output is when it comes to a layout where suddenly, you know, you might have four panels that are actually like drawn out in boxes with gutters and everything. And then you'll have uh, like one particular panel with that that doesn't have that confinement and sort of like spreads over them or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might just be a a single character with their particular dialogue or whatever. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know, like, was that something that the writer specified or was that just the artist saying, okay, I'm going to break free of panels at this point, you you know, and it's, it's their way of storytelling that makes something much more alive, perhaps, than what you envisioned. Right, yeah, and and it it takes that kind of collaboration. I think that that's really where the magic of comics happens. Yeah. Um, You know, we're going to obviously keep talking about Born Dark, but one of the things that was, like, super hot controversial um, the day that we're recording this is that there was a a convention for retailers and publishers called Comics Pro and Image Comics publisher Eric Stevenson said some really controversial things. Um, And I was alarmed at how many people didn't find them controversial at all. They're like, why are people getting upset by what he's saying? And what I'm talking about is, um, well, he pointed out the obvious that, hey, there's a market for women. Right. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Yay. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your acknowledgement, person with a penis. And, um, but he sort of really pans on um, intellectual properties of franchises like Star Wars. And he called out some, some books that friends of mine write, and that's not cool. Yeah, mine too. That's the thing. Like he specifically mentioned things like Transformers and GI Joe, and I'm like, "Whoa, buddy!" I'm like, "Do you realize the success of My Little Pony? Do you realize the success of these things?" And, um, and I understand what people were saying. That first of all, his perspective is he's coming from Image, and all he was talking about was The Walking Dead. Right. Um, every indie creator dreams of having the success of The Walking Dead, but it's unrealistic to expect that. Right. And and then to, to sort of classify things as not real, like those were his words. And I understand that it takes a level of decoding to understand what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. It was just poor, very poorly worded. But to say that, you know, things like Star Wars and GI Joe and Transformers don't bring people into comic shops was kind of insulting because, you know, there are creators that work on those books and get paid a paycheck to work on those books. And um, maybe it's just additional merchandise. Like for, for whatever reason, he was not considering comics merchandise, like t-shirts and video games and action figures and statues. It's like in the end, the very end of it all, it's all merchandise. And also, you know, the person that comes into the you know into the comic shop to buy you know adventure time or my little pony you never know when they're going to turn and go hey harley quinn i remember watching you know batman on cartoon when i was you know a kid i loved harley quinn i'm gonna pick up this book or you know anything you know we we don't know what connections people are going to make. Right. And that's one of the things that a really great retailer can be amazing with. Like if you bring your child in for My Little Pony, I love My Little Pony. And I don't even have kids. So, um, but if somebody specifically comes in for Adventure Time and My Little Pony, those were actually things that I 
referenced in somebody's feed. Mm-hmm. You know, or the Simpsons comics, you know, stuff from Archie and Bongo. Right. Uh, you know, it's if if that gets a person in the store, like things like Free Comic Book Day gets people in the store, then, yeah, it's kind of up to the retailer to say, well, and what do you like? You know? Right. It's like, oh, well, so you read this to your kids and you're helping, you know, well, and what do you like? You know, do they like things like Farscape and Buffy and Aliens and, you know, all these, like, the boom just announced Big Trouble in Little China. I, I mean, know. how stupid excited about it, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how many of us got ridiculously orgasmic just seeing that teaser image? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. Like, everything, everything about that image was perfect. Like, even, like, the stupid way that he he's like holding his arms is just perfectly Kurt Russell in that movie. Like it's just so perfect. <laughs> it was, it was. And I'm like, and I'm like, it's a, uh, that's the thing. I was just like, okay, you are insulting IDW and dark horse and boom, when you say these kinds of things and that's just bullshit. And you know, and I think that that's part of the game too, where you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, like, you know, like they've got to like, I don't know, piss higher up on the stick or something. <laughs> it could be, yeah. But, that you has, know, I like, mean, like, like that's part of the like, game of, you know, like, well, our, our, our house is better than your house or whatever. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I got nothing like, against, uh, against image. I'm going to say that now. got nothing against anybody. But, um, but you know, I think that part of it is, is just, you know, my house is better than your house. Yeah. And it was just so funny how the things that came out of that, like even the fact that he said something positive about um, marketing towards women, and then he listed off, you know, all of these titles that apparently are very strong with women, and I read one of them. Mm -hmm. Like the rest of them I've looked at and I don't like. So I was like, okay, different women have different tastes. Um, But then, of course, uh, like Jennifer DeGuzman, who works for Image, and Gail Simone ended up with their own sort of like Twitter hashtag trend. Oh yeah, of just absolutely hilarious mocking about like um you know boys read comics too and that kind of <laughs> stuff. And just the funniest things come out of that when that happens when when you when you piss off a certain population of the fans and creators. They're just going to take you to task on Twitter. Right. And, uh, you know, and it was just funny. I'm like, yes, I hate it. And, you know, like, you know, in my comic shop, when a man walks in the door, I ask him, oh, are you looking for something for your girlfriend? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's the sort of mentality that that presents when it's like it, that duh moment. Like, duh. Yes, of course, women are here reading comics. We're here making comics. And I never understood that whole that whole point of it when you had somebody like Karen Berger at like literally the highest position of one of the big two. Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I just always, I don't know. Like the two comic shops I I normally can get to in New Jersey. Well, first of all, like my local shop at Comic Fusion and Little Shop of Comics in Scotch Plains have women running them well you know it's funny it's it's you know i i run into unicorn syndrome all the time you know where it's like oh no it's just you it's just you're the only one and nobody else is like you in the whole world because you're this one special nerd girl who's actually a nerd and the rest of them are all just and it's like if there were if this was actually true we'd, we'd be overrun with unicorns people would be leaving out unicorn traps to kill off unicorns if there were as many <laughs> unicorns as there are nerd girls who are actually nerdy yeah i mean and it's <laughs> do you feel do you feel insulted at all because it was one of those things like i like today i on twitter we do follow friday which is always, you know, really nice when somebody makes that effort uh-huh. to say, you know, that, that somebody, you know, that their their followers should be following you. And somebody was just like, you know, follow Elizabeth Amber, you know, awesome, awesome fangirl. And I was just like, 
what? <laughs> and it wasn't even like finger. It was like G-U-R-L. I was just like, what? Like, literally, I stopped there and I kept looking at it. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I really appreciate, you know, the promotion that people should follow me, but that's what you think of me? Okay. I like, I got a lot more going on here. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, like I didn't, I didn't want to be too upset by it, but the fact that, that I consciously noticed myself pausing, yeah, and questioning it, I'm like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> right. The last time that somebody actually, literally called me a unicorn, I actually went off. I was just like, no. <laughs> oh my god, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Like, stop it. Oh, man. We're everywhere. We're literally everywhere. But that's the thing, like, because you and I are so active on Twitter. Um, and I I know that when it comes to running a Kickstarter like you have for Born Dark, there's so much social media commitment. And you are already very committed to social media. So how is it affecting your plans for that? Because you have to try to not annoy the crap out of people talking about your your comic that you're trying to raise money for at the same time you you know you need to balance being engaging and being you and being the reason that we follow you in the first place you know it's funny i actually checked my statistics and my tweets are actually down 20 percent this week (laughs) that's amazing and i'm like huh (laughs) and it's because I'm like literally like putting the brakes on myself and being like, no, you're not going to tweet more than four times this hour about born dark. And then, you know, I like try to get involved in what other people are doing because you know, these people are my friends and I want to know what they're doing. And I don't want to be stuck in my own little world of like yelling. Like I actually unfollowed somebody uh, not too long ago just because, I look, I was like, I feel like all I'm seeing from this person is tweets about their Kickstarter. And I went to their, their own personal timeline. And sure enough, for the last like 17 days, it had been 15 tweets a day on a schedule. So they were obviously, they'd obviously botted themselves of just the same three tweets about their Kickstarter over and over and over again. And I was just like, no, click. Yeah, I I unfollowed somebody, you know, somebody that I consider a friend. I had to unfollow the same thing because I just got tired of seeing the Kickstarter announcements on Twitter. I was just like, you're getting annoying. You are annoying at this point. Right, yeah. If you you weren't a friend, I would have done this a long time ago, but. (laughs) Right. And then I'm like, as soon as it's over, I'll refollow. You know, and, and, and I had people unfollow me over, over the, um, nerd bondage project, both because they didn't, you know, approve of the subject and because they were just like, they're like, I follow 14 people and you're like, I average 80 tweets a day. (laughs) So I'm just like (laughs) overwhelming them. So how are you working on marketing the book outside of Twitter? Um, well, you know, I've been reaching out to find people like yourself, you know, podcasters and bloggers and stuff like that. Um, uh, Comics Bastards just put um, a thing up for me, which is awesome. Love those guys. Um, you know, just really reaching out and talking to people that I have relationships with and um, trying to, you know, strengthen those relationships, really. Are you hitting, like, all of the networks, or are you primarily a Twitter person? Um, I have my Facebook hooked to my Twitter. Yeah, a lot of people do. I mean, I do too. Because I, I do too. Because I, it's just easier. I don't understand Facebook. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I under Twitter makes perfect sense to me. I have conversations with people. Those conversations are semi-private in that, you know, it's just me and other people that know both of us, you know, and we can, you know, but at the same time things can branch out and I meet new people whereas 
Facebook, it just seems like an echo chamber of talking to the same people over and over again. And it's harder to reach out and it's harder to find new people. And it's just not as much fun to me. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, and I know that there's um, there was a video that came out a, a couple weeks ago called like Facebook fraud, and it was about how um, those bot farms basically in places like Bangladesh and Egypt, how they um, they have all the fake likes. They have people that get paid to do nothing but like pages, and um, Facebook you know, has this mission that they're really against those sort of click farms. Oh, yeah. And yet at the same time, this what this person did was a very legitimate, really well-documented um, theory and test about Facebook's promote feature. How now that, you know, you have a page, the people who like your page aren't necessarily seeing any of your stuff. And you have to pay to have your stuff, what they call, promoted. And this guy did all of this and proved unequivocally, without a doubt, that even Facebook's paid promotions are still coming from click farms. So he was getting less engagement paying for his promotions. You know? Yeah. Like, and it's absurd. So it's like, yeah, I'm definitely all for, like, I'm way more about Twitter. Like, you're following people or you're not. Right. Boom. <laughs> and, and and that's the thing, like, and I don't, I don't want to have to pay to talk to my friends, you know, like, right. and on Twitter, I really do, like, I have friends on Twitter, and if you see me on Twitter, people, you you wonderful people out there, you just burst right in and say hi, because that's how I meet people, I just burst into their conversations and I'm like hi I'm Leela this is what I think <laughs> yeah and I've, I've met amazing people yeah very people that are very close to me because of Twitter um it's a very different environment it's a really different tool yeah yeah and it it's much more um it's much more human to me and it's much you know, and I know that there are different personality types, and I have friends that are very much Facebook people, and they they jump in, and they already, you know, but usually, to me, the people who are really into Facebook are people who know people, you know, they work with people, and they connect with those people, and then they meet those friends and things. I don't, don't you know, even when I had, you know, when I was working full-time, I was a personal trainer at my own private studio. I worked, I saw about six people a day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, you know, this is a much better way for me to kind of get to know people that I would never have an opportunity to meet in real life were it not for Twitter. So, you know. It's, uh, you know, amazing thinking about just the technology and the, the how 20 and 30 years ago this was science fiction right. <laughs> in the world that we're living in now. And, um, and with your comic, you've got these fantasy elements and um, you have uh, – worlds being discovered and things like that by protagonists and and it made me really think about the things that we grew up with that address these kind of issues there where there was a protagonist and realms colliding there's always a portal going somewhere and I was thinking of like labyrinth and Alice in Wonderland and Narnia and legend and even nightmare on Elm Street because I know like uh, I'm not a horror person and I sat through like one of those movies and was scared to death <laughs> but it was like you know the whole the whole portal portal gone bad right kind of thing and then great things like hell hellboy you know um and even harry potter you go through the you know the railroad platform and you get somewhere else um so is like what is your your portal to another realm like is it is it a good thing is it a scary thing it's 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 a very bad thing um okay so the, the two worlds that sit the side by side are our world you know modern america 
wonderful place that it is. And um, there's a goblin realm, and only certain people are able to see, you know, into the goblin realm. And it's um, basically through mirrors. So um, the main characters are all people who have basically seen the goblin realm, had dealings with the goblin realm, and uh, there's... Malcolm, who dealt with them when he was a kid, and then there's Jake, who is a kid and is, you know, has has put his trust in the goblins, and that's probably a bad idea. Okay. Yeah, there's usually something like the mentor relationship and um, that... That worry element, like, um, even like in a princess bride, never ending story and things like that, where it was always like, there was that fear factor. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the thing is that, that people who have happy lives make terrible stories. <laughs> sure. I imagine that's really boring. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, and, and then he went to, you know, like the last time that that worked out was like Pollyanna. <laughs> and since then, it's just been really, we need to, uh, you know, it's really a lot more fun to dig into people who have, you know, shitty lives who are trying their best to either just stay afloat or make them better. <laughs> well, what, you know, like talking about these things that we've we've been fans of and stuff like that. Do you have like a favorite? Oh, a favorite? You know, it's Something, funny. Yeah. Uh, this morning, the the morning that we uh, uh, were recording this, um, I think it was Tor did a morning question. It was like, what was your you know your gateway into? Um, science fiction and fantasy and the first movie that i remember seeing in the theaters was labyrinth oh my goodness yeah (laughs) and then the first science fiction fantasy type book that i remember reading on my own was oz okay great example and then after that was narnia Uh (laughs) you know and it's like yeah as i think back like all of those early books were portal fantasies like they were like i'm gonna take you off into this wonderful world but the thing is like at the end of labyrinth even as a you know five or six year old child sitting in the theater and she's like when she gets back to her house and like it's her parents and the baby and like and they're like Mm -hmm. uh you know i'm like You you can they they don't have a king. They need someone to lead them. Get your ass back in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was always like, already, mm, that is already having your mind taking over. <laughs> right. Like I'm like, mm, no. Like, this is not the happy ending. <laughs> the happy ending you know, is definitely not. I go back to my regular life and go back to school. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I always loved her bedroom, how magical her bedroom was. Yeah, right? But, you know, like, thinking about about movies and how everything is rebooted, I, you know, it, it the shock just hit me as we were talking about Labyrinth. I'm like, oh, my God, if they ever remake Labyrinth. No. Because there's so much trippy stuff in there. There are those little segments that are all green screen and not puppeteering uh-huh. or like puppets above the green screen and stuff like that. Like uh, you just, I mean, Jennifer Connelly is one thing, but you cannot redo the Goblin King. No, like, the only person that could ever be Jareth is David Bowie. I mean, yeah. he could probably do it again now just fine, but exactly. <laughs> no one else could fill that tight pair of pants those tight pants and the, you know and the reason that i was just thinking about it is i was like why did this pop in my head because somebody mentioned that they wanted to see tom hiddleston remake this movie to be the goblin king and i was like i love me some hiddleston i do oh yeah and not that i wouldn't want to see him in those tight pants right we can just dress him up as the goblin king. <laughs> we can i would i would accept tom hiddleston cosplay <laughs> 
<laughs> How do we make that happen? Look to Kickstarter. <laughs> there, I bet he would do it. We, we get a big enough, we go to change.org, you know, because this is really important. This is the sort of thing that petitions were made for, right? We want to see Tom Hiddleston in the outfit. Right? Get him a wig? Yes. Mm. I've seen some really amazing cosplay of that. It's, it's, I'm like, I, you know, it was one of those things where I always thought, oh, it can't be done, and I don't know why. And then I see people do it, and I'm just amazed. I'm like, how did you pull this off? Right? <laughs> I'm like that so much with cosplay. I'm just like, no, that can't be done. No, that's, that's ridiculous. That's a drawing or that's professional Hollywood people. And then people show up at a con like that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I suck. You're only limited by your imagination. Yeah, I guess. And, and wallet. Right. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so, I mean, in your cast of characters, um, you have your goblin is not sexy. Not sexy at all. No. Not sexy. No. Um, but you have you have Malcolm who is slightly psychic. You have uh, Blue who is like a, a pure blood oracle chick, and Bulvis the goblin. And then you have Jake that you mentioned, who's this young boy who's kind of troubled. He's in the foster system. Um, so yeah, Bulvis not sexy. Not not sexy at all. No, it definitely went a different way with the whole goblin thing. <laughs> you think, yeah, if you are out there and you see the concept art and, and bio for Bulvis and you think that's sexy, I'm sorry, you have a fetish. Yeah, that's a, that's a very specific fetish. <laughs> <laughs> Seek professional. <laughs> so, um, so what can you tell us about the relationship between Malcolm, your psychic, and Jake, your troubled youth? Well, at first, they don't know each other at all, and actually... Um, Malcolm is a very reluctant hero in this book. He is not, um, he's definitely not a white knight when it comes to this stuff. And um, basically, all of the characters are driven in one way or another by guilt. And um, they're all trying to make up for something that they've done. And they really just, screw it up over and over again. <laughs> yeah. But um, that happens. it's great when heroes make mistakes though. Yeah. You know, like how many wrong turns does Indiana Jones make? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that that's part of the journey. Like, like nobody wants to watch that, you know, Gary Stu, Mary Sue show where they all make the perfect decision every time for the right reasons too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then then you're just like, okay, you're it's that um sort of like knight in shining armor thing, you know, like they're just everything they do is perfect. Right. Yeah, no, there's definitely none of that. Um Blue is definitely the kind of the the best character, but even she has some, you know, issues. <laughs> um but uh basically Malcolm and Jake at 11 years old are really the same kid. They're both lost and Bulvis takes advantage of them in the same way. And it really requires Malcolm to kind of step outside of his kind of selfish wall that he's built up around himself to be able to kind of redeem himself. So if it's sort of like this common thread with, you know, that, that temptation of a dark character luring you somewhere, what happened at 11 years old to, to Leela? What, you know, what sort of things tempted you at 11 years old? You know, uh, you know, I have a, a sordid and, and, and uh, storied past. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think about how young I was when I first saw things like Playboy magazine. I was really young when I first saw that. Uh-huh. And, you know, like finding my dad's stash somewhere and thinking, oh, my God, I want to be that. You know, right. like, I don't know. So it was like it's one of these things that was supposed to be dangerous. Right. 
And now we're just like, ah, whatever. Let's take off our clothes. Hey, naked people. <laughs> Do it. Get your camera. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I guess around 11 is when I realized that the world was a, a scary place and that, you know, things weren't as simple as they had appeared and that maybe people didn't care that it was a bad place all the time, you know? And, okay. and so like, um, it's funny cause I wrote a story on my blog that, that ha- happens to be true of watching a, one of my best friend's dad drag her out of her house at gunpoint. And I remember that. Take yeah. Off. And I was, I was like, no, that can't have happened. That happened. And it happened. That happened. I, I was, yeah, I was 11. And, um, and yeah. literally no one did anything about it. That's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, I was expecting cops to come or something. Nothing happened. And I think that that's really where that thing that, 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 you know, they're like the moment when your childhood died, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Neighbor comes out with a gun. There you go. Yep. Frightens his child. That's it. It's pretty much, pretty much a nail in the coffin. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but you know, I think that it, it takes those kinds of scars to make a writer a writer. So or an artist, an artist, whatever, you know. That's true. If we were all, like, super happy, what the hell would we be writing about? Right. Boring people who always do the right thing. Fifty <laughs> <laughs> Shades of Grey. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, now, one of the things that I... I was really curious about was because Jake is in the foster system. I was wondering if you had some sort of personal connection with that, or if it was all strictly research or, you know, if you were close with somebody in the system, how you came up with, with wanting that specific thing to be part of Jake's history. Well, I, um, I have it from both sides. My aunt works in, um, for child protective services, um, and has been a foster parent, um, forever. And, you know, I remember her having kids, you know, at the house and that sort of thing. And then I also had a friend in high school who was a foster kid and had, you know, six, foster siblings all living you know and so my aunt's situation it was this wonderful like she had this big house and one child at a time and she took excellent care of them and all their needs were met and they got to go to counseling and all of these things you know and then my friend in high school you know there was literally six kids shoved into two bedrooms (laughs) <laughs> and like, it was like they were sort of like there for the check yeah and like literally the bedrooms were were like prison cells in that or like i don't know like submarine like the beds flipped up into the walls and attached with hooks <laughs> and oh my god like, like that's crazy like it was really just... weird and um yeah so it was just one of those things where it was like you know i i kind of saw that while there aren't all bad, there are lots and lots of places where, you know, kids end up, you know, shelved, literally. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, kind of saw both sides of that. Did you ever see the the new, um, well, kind of new, whatever, it's been out for, I guess, a season or two, a show called The Fosters? It's on ABC Family? I haven't. It's... An interesting show um, because the fostering parents are a biracial lesbian couple, and one of them has a biological son, and then all the rest of the the kids in the household, which are all teens, are all foster kids. Um, 
So I did like watch a couple episodes of it because I was curious just by the sheer makeup of it. And of course, like every single kid has their own problems. Like, you know, the one is pilfering the, the prescription meds that the other one actually needs. And, um, you know, and then someone gets out of juvie and they take her in and, you know, she's supposed to be the bad apple, but she's really motivated to save her brother who's off in some other system. It's like, like you said, it's sort of like here are these, these people that have this beautiful house and great jobs and everything, but at the same time, like all of the kids are supposed to be troubled. Right. It's like, you know what? You can grow up in a perfect house with married parents. And, you know, two kids, and you're still going to be fucked up. Everybody is fucked up. Right. Everybody is fucked up. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't wish a bad system on anybody, right. but you could be, like, biologically trapped in a shitty system. You know, she house. Right. Um. Yeah, that's just crazy. Now, were you in some, like, growing up in a big city, or was this, like, suburbs? Uh, we, you... we, well, you know, we lived everywhere at the time. When I was 11, I lived in Houston in a not-so-great neighborhood. Because hmm. I just, you know, like, I so associate you with the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because I was born in Alabama. Don't I sound like I was born in Alabama? You do, you do. You have the southern thing. <laughs> Me, I'm just like, whatever. She's like a New Englander. <laughs> I used to talk like this. And um, <laughs> after a long time, I learned that if you talk like this, people in the Northeast will think you're an idiot. So you have to learn to talk like this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's really great if you can play off of that. Because there are times when being stupid works to your advantage. Absolutely. So you can put on the Southern Belle thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Were you a debutante? Did you have, like, a big dress? There, I, I have cousins who did the whole thing, like, the the whole, you know, junior league coming out. And, wow. yeah, that whole nine yards. And no thank you. Because <laughs> I just really can't imagine you doing it except under duress. <laughs> Like extreme duress. Uh, yeah, my my parents almost sent me to live with that grandmother uh, <laughs> my senior year in high school, um, and then she was going to have me stay there through college. And yeah, it was just not a good idea. <laughs> like, the, the most amazing picture in my head of you in a giant poofy white dress with like a blue mohawk. <laughs> Like, I just, this would happen. This is how it would be. Black nail polish and, like, you know, those giant-ass platform boots that you have. Yes. With the big, poofy white dress. Like, <laughs> See, now I want to go to that party. Yeah. I'm like, this is how it would be. Um, so what, uh, I, I want to understand your writing process. Um. Because, like I said, you're, you know, you're, like, amazingly engaging on Twitter. So do you, do you turn it off or is it just sort of, like, on all the time? You don't think about it. It's on all the time. It's funny because when I'm writing, I, I do everything kind of – I'm very ADD about this. And it's funny. Because, and I shouldn't say that because that's, that's really ableist of me. Um, I'm – I have to have a lot of things going on or I don't do so well. Like if you put me in a room with just my computer and we're like, right. And it was quiet and it was just me and my computer. I would just be like, and I'm going to go and count the t floor tiles now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, because it just doesn't work for me. Usually if I'm writing, I have a terrible, cheesy horror movie on the television. Right. I was going to ask because a lot of times I have to have something sort of monotonously playing. Absolutely. Like something just really awful. <laughs> the worse it is, <laughs> the better. And, you know, then I'll have Twitter going kind of in the background. And then I have my, you know, and I'll write for a little while. And then something will catch and it doesn't quite, quite, 
you know, something's just not driving for me. And then I'll go to Twitter and I'll play around for a little while. And it just lets kind of my subconscious kind of work on the problem for a little while. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, wait a minute, I know what to do. And then I disappear from Twitter for a little while and I'm like, ah, and I got this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know some people are really strict and they they turn everything off. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people have been like, oh, you know, maybe you should get a blocker thingy for your end. Yeah. It just wouldn't work no. at all. I. Yeah, no, I I would feel way too isolated. Yeah. Because uh, some people like that notion, that whole, like, really boxed in, com- you know, completely untouchable environment right. in, order to, in order to write. And I'm, I, I sort of need to just know that there's life outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have there. what was supposed to be, like, my writing room, and it's all the way in the other end of the house, and it's, like, it's, you know, it's where all my books are, and it's this perfect environment for writing, and I never go in there, like, other than to get books. I'm never in there, because it's, like, it's, way, and, like, the cats don't even come back to that end of the house. They're just, like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's how my sewing room is. It's like on this other end. And even if I go in there, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll take like a a laptop in there and have Hulu playing or something. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, even though there's like, there's like no room to move, um, you know, with the the dress forms and the bins and everything that's in there, I, I, because of the location in the house, it, it already feels so isolated that I just need sound. I need something going. And, you know, so even if I'm, uh, if I'm writing, I actually seem to work better, you know, when I'm like sneaking time at my day job. Right. Um, yeah. Just because there's like, there's stuff going on and uh, it's, it's easier for me to say, okay, I need to tune something out instead of add something in. And it's kind of a crazy thing because I, I'm really specific. Like I, I need to have a certain kind of music playing or like I said, certain repetitious TV shows on that I've seen 8 million times. You know, I, it's not like I'm looking for a distraction. I'm just looking for that hum. Right. That noise. Yeah. That's why cheesy horror movies are great because, you know, I know all the tropes. So, you know, I'm like, oh, she's naked. She's dying. And, you know, you yeah, know exactly. <laughs> Oops, she's wearing her underwear. There you go. She's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And yeah, and, and it, it works really great because, you know, I you know, I, I can almost listen to the music that's playing and I know what's going on in the movie. So it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, yep, you know, and it's fine. <laughs> Do you have a soundtrack sort of like in your brain for Born Dark? I don't. Because I know some people have talked about it, like Adam, you, were, you know, we were just discussing your, you know, Adam Nave, who worked as your editor. Uh-huh. Um, and like other folks that I've talked to, I've, I, it's sometimes music and comics really interconnect in this way where, you know, we think about what the soundtrack would be. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think partly, partly because, like, I think a lot of comics, the, the culture of the characters is really similar so everybody is kind of on the same wavelength whereas the the three main characters the three human main characters in this in Born Dark are really culturally in completely different places you know like Malcolm wears a suit every day you know, he he's always in a suit. He's impeccable. He's Mr. You know, he is a con man and he is Mr. Suit and Tie. And that's his thing. And Blue is really I mean, she's just she's wearing the biggest, baggiest, you know, kind of thing that she can put on. And she's just, you know, she's just completely culturally on a different plane than Malcolm is. And then Mal and then Jake is an 11 year old boy, you know, he's listening, he's listening to completely different stuff, you know? So it's just a, a completely, you know, separate. These are three very different people, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's cool because I in the uh like bios um that I I got to see the preview of and and I'm not sure, I think is it just like exclusive to Kickstarter people at this point? I don't know, but you have like the the character mock-ups of what they look like in their their bios and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, they and so that stuff is is in the um a lot of that stuff is in the um video. But uh yeah. Yeah, and so you can yeah, you can see those personalities, you can, you know, what we're talking about here. Right. Um it's uh, it's interesting because trying to think about, you know, would there be like um like how do they do that in the movies? Like how do they have one composer that that comes up with the, all of that and um you know, it's just like it, it's amazing that the the talent that they have to match that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that maybe if I thought about it a little bit more and really dug into that, there are probably you know different scenes that I could say, you know, this is Blue's scene and this is what she would be listening to, or this is Jake's scene and that's what he would be listening to, and it might be something that I dig into with. Um, the books um, as they, as we go forward right now, my brain is completely eaten up with Kickstarter. <laughs> right. Right. And it's tricky. I mean, something worth mentioning in, in comics is that we have to be really careful of copyright when it comes to mentioning songs and lyrics and stuff like that. Like you can, I think it's like you can mention the song title, but I think it's sort of sketchy if you put lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, you know, it's just like it's, there's like all this intricate, crazy shit that you just don't really want to deal with. I mean, people do it because it's like the chance of it being on the radar is like so slim. Um, but it's like it's like singing. Like you can't sing a song, but you can speak the lyrics. If we were doing like the recording right now, like it's uh, you know all these stupid legal issues. <laughs> But, it's know, like, no, I just want to have a soundtrack in my book. <laughs> As a creator, I'm like, yeah, you know, they deserve to get paid for that stuff. They made it, you know. But at the same right. time, it's like, you know, really complicated. And so, yeah, I'm just like, it is. go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too much frying your brain right now with running the campaign. Um. So I want to give you a little break from talking about Kickstarter for like to wrap this up. Okay. So you can like de Kickstarter <laughs> for a second um, and, and unplug from that. I want to hear about Leela's family curse that was hinted at on the Twitter because <laughs> I'm like a family curse. Yeah. This I, this I must know. I have to. I want to hear all of these personal details. Yes. So um, according to my mom. Who is a source? I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna say she's an unreliable narrator, but yeah. But <laughs> um, we, uh, some point in some time, I don't know, our Irish um, ancestors did something to somebody, and um, so now. One of us has to go back to Ireland and plant a tree on the on the grounds of this castle in order to break this curse. And we'll, none of us will ever be successful until we do. <laughs> and you you failed at the mission because apparently you didn't have time to plant the tree while you were out there. I, no, I went to Ireland. Of course, my mom has never had never mentioned said curse until I said I was going to Ireland. And then she's like, oh, well, then you have to do this. Now, she didn't know where the castle was. <laughs> she didn't know, like, nothing. <laughs> you didn't, like, inherit, like, your great-great-grandmother's journal that, like, had cryptic messages and things to decode? Right? You'd like, think. But no. <laughs> I mean, if they had Come made on. it Nancy Drew, I might have done this, but no. <laughs> oh, my. So, yeah, I was just, like, there, like, she seriously expected me to, like, go to the archives and 
find the information. And I don't know. I mean, I was like, do I get to go to the church and break a hole in the floor like Indiana Jones and crawl? Because exactly. <laughs> I might have done I would that. Ex- <laughs> That's what I would expect if you had time to prepare. Right. You know, you can't just throw a family curse on me, you know, a week before I'm leaving. <laughs> And then you have to find the tree. Right. You know, it's like, is it a little tree? Do you have to go dig up a tree from somewhere else and then relocate the tree? Will a shrubbery work? (laughs) You know, does it have to be done on the solstice? What are are the rules? Right. (laughs) That's, That's amazing. I am not aware if I have a family curse. Well, you should get one. It's pretty cool. It's great. It probably is. There's probably like black forest curse. Right? I mean, it's like, it's like now if anything goes wrong, I can be like family curse. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I hope you somehow work that in into into some fiction somewhere along the line because that'll be great. Right. Yeah. And um, so meanwhile, things are going great with Born Dark over on Kickstarter, and people can get the rest of the information and, and like at borndarkcomic.com, right? That is correct. That's correct. So where else can they follow you? What's your Twitter handle? At L. Gwen with two N's. Okay. And um, what's your goal for the Kickstarter? 5500 Okay. And I'm looking and, at it, and we just broke 50% funded. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I knew it was going to be 50% today. I don't know why I had it. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> and great. So people got a couple more weeks, and um, there's milestone reward things that you're unlocking as you go. Yeah, yeah we're unlocking things as we go, and everybody's going to get those milestone things Um even if you are just in for a dollar, you'll still get uh, the digital stuff um, for the milestone things. So everybody goes home a winner. That's great. Yeah. And I can't wait to see more of, of Rich's artwork. So um, that's always exciting. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. All right, you guys. Um, so you've been listening to Leela Gwen talk about these fascinating things in, in urban fantasy and in the comics business and, and stuff like that. So go follow her on Twitter because we are often interacting. You can follow me at Elizabeth Amber. And Leela, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And um, we'll talk to you really super soon. And guys, thanks for listening to Vodka Clock. Check out everything else that you need to know at AmberUnmasked.com. Cheers.